Culture is this amorphous thing that we talk about a lot. But what does it really mean to build culture? What are the levers that we can pull when culture seems so out of our control? Well, today's guest shares insight into what kind of culture we should be striving for and how to get there. A warm welcome to Chad L. to the Modern Manager community. Today's guest is Dr. J.P. Palu Fry. Dr. J.P. is a pioneering force in culture development and building high-performance teams. His journey began with a personal struggle with ADHD, which ultimately led him on a profound quest for understanding how emotions drive behavior. This exploration culminated in the development of the last 8% system, a transformative approach that has empowered Olympic athletes, Navy SEALs, CEOs, and Fortune 500 employees. JP and I talk about building a team culture for the 8% principle, where people are connected and courageous. He explains what the last 8% is and why it's so hard, what we as managers can do to tackle that 8%, and how to foster a culture that drives high performance. Plus, in the extended interview available to members of Podcast Plus, JP shares his thoughts on how to hold yourself and your team accountable to following through on the norms and culture that you are actually trying to achieve. Lastly, we are trying something new for Podcast Plus. Instead of the weekly sketch note, we'll be sharing a one-pager with the key takeaways and a call to action to help you quickly access the big ideas from the conversation and immediately put them into action. So members, please share your feedback with us on this new resource. And if you're not yet a member, go to themodernmanager.com slash more to sign up and check it out. Now here's the conversation. Are you a manager, boss, or team leader who aspires to level up and unleash your team's full potential? You're listening to the Modern Manager Podcast, and I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Each week, I explore effective strategies and provide actionable insights that supercharge your management abilities, optimize team performance, and foster a healthy workplace culture. Become a rockstar manager and help your team thrive at themodernmanager.com slash more. Thank you so much for joining me today, JP. I'm Super excited to have you as a guest to pick your brain on the 8% rule and how we can make our culture of our teams just a place where not only people get to thrive, but really do incredible work together to hit that high performance and accomplish good things. So welcome. Pleasure's all mine, Mamie. So maybe we could start with what the 8% rule is just at a high level, and then we can dive into the culture piece of it a little bit later. But can you just start with kind of what is the 8% rule and what is it grounded in? How did, how did this come up, become a thing? We know right now that in the research literature, to be a high-performing team, you need to take risks. It's the best, most clearest finding. Yet at the very same time that we need to take risks to be high performing, our brain is saying, no, default to protection, not risk. We call that the fundamental conflict of performance. We need to take risks. At the very same time, our brain is saying, no, step back. Don't take risks. Default to protection. So we try to quantify what are the risks that people need to take to be effective. And what we found in our research, first in a study of 34,000 people, we're pretty good Think about a conversation, make it very concrete. Think of a conversation you need to have with someone. We get to 85, 90, 92% of what we want to say. But when we get to that harder part of the conversation, that part of the conversation that has consequences for the other person, maybe even for ourselves, funny thing happens. They start to get triggered. They get emotional. We get infected by their emotion. And as opposed to stepping in and having that last part, that last 8% of the conversation we step back, we avoid it, or we struggle with it. And so that's where it came from. It's it's really the 
percentage of information, the gap really between what we know we should be doing in a conversation, it's not just conversations, but to stay with the example, in a conversation, the gap between what we feel we should communicate compared to that which we actually do. And what we found is that it's not just limited to conversations, it's also hard decisions. And it's really any situation that brings up that fear of social pain, social death is how our brain perceives it, that makes us step back. And so the last 8% is the hardest part of the conversation, decision, naming inconvenient truths, admitting mistakes that we struggle with, yet, as we mentioned, is the most important thing to being high performing. It's so true. I'm just thinking about some of my own experiences and like getting almost there and then the kind of like backing down from it. And it's actually a little healthy, I feel like, or, or reassuring to know that it's actually only an 8% gap. It's not, it, that actually feels overcomable as opposed to something that was much bigger. And yet still that 8% is, is tough. <laughs> it's tough to get, to get all the way there. It's a great point. You know, there's a term in psychology called terminal uniqueness, where we terminally think we're the only one going through an experience. We're not. And so the last 8% is absolutely pervasive and universal. Everyone experiences this. Everyone who's listening or watching experiences this. And the question is not, will you experience it? The real question is, is will you build the skills to step in because you absolutely can. That's what we know from our research and others. Maybe we can go right there and you can lay out some of the skills that it takes to get yourself to regularly push yourself into that zone of discomfort, but that is so important to get us to high performance. Now there's kind of fundamentally, there are two influencers on behavior. There are the internal factors. So for an, a behavior to be executed, it requires factors inside the person to execute the behaviors. And that's about half of what we can control. But the other half fully, the other half is what's in the environment, in the context. And so to answer your question means we need to look at both. And unfortunately, a lot of training programs really only look at the internal factors. They don't look at what's the environment, what's the culture on the team, for instance, to use a concrete example. And so, you know, to answer your question, it would be, okay, what's inside the individual? Well, it's really about managing emotions. You know, can you sit there and be uncomfortable? I mean, you said the zone of discomfort. Absolutely. Because it has a very uh, physical manifestation. So how do you make sense, make meaning out of that physical uh, sensation, your signature physical sensation as we talk about it? When we're in the last 8%, um, what's really interesting is the brain again, similar to what we talked about earlier, is trying to protect us. That's why it defaults to protection, not risk. And so it gets the first information up into the brain, really it's 5%. We jump to judgment based on less than 5% of available information. And it does this because it's prioritizing speed over accuracy, right? So to protect my brain or my body, my brain is jumping to judgment. It's making predictions, Makes a lot of prediction errors, quite frankly. But here's the thing. On the skill side internally, you need to have that self-awareness. Okay, when I feel this physical sensation, what does that mean? And that's similar to work we do with Navy SEALs, NFL, NBA teams, you know, folks in corporate and, you know, healthcare, et cetera. But it's, okay, what are those skills? So you have self-awareness to know, okay, what's that signature physical sensation, number one? What's the 
jumping to judgment that I typically do? What's my default predictable behavior, which is in a last 8% moment, some of us will avoid, some of us will make a mess. And the make a mess is, you know, when I come on too strong and I have impact I don't intend, 68% of us from our data avoid, 32% of us make a mess. I'm an avoider, by the way. I do it because I want to be liked, truly. And so that's the work I need to do. So again, there's obviously so much more and that's the work we do. But on the internal side, it's like, okay, JP, if we're talking about me, what's your predictable default behavior? Oh, you're an avoider. Okay, what's your signature physical sensation? Ah, heat in the forehead. All right, that's a start for us to then unpack what can I do to step in and not let that fear of others' opinion affect my hard decisions, hard conversations. That's the half. The other half is what do we do to create the environment where people can take risks? And that is that second part you mentioned about you know, there's last 8% moments, we've talked about that. And now there's this thing called the last 8% culture. And there's really two variables, two pillars of a high performing team. So just first, culture really does not exist across an organization. That's a fallacy. It exists on teams. That's a fundamental unit of culture. And so on the team, there's really two pillars. One is high connection or psychological safety. And the other is high courage. Can you skillfully do hard things? And so we have a matrix of two by two, or really a map that helps organizations and teams specifically see where they are on that map. And what we know is that, you know, you need to have enough connection where people feel valued. They have a voice. So they feel like psychological safety, but they also, it's normed on the team to take risks. And so what we call an upper right-hand quadrant culture is when you have high connection and high courage, which is behaviorally you know, most illustrated by high accountability and high care. So that's really what you, so again, to come back to your question, it's a, a long-winded answer, but there's skills inside the person, there's skills outside. The skills outside are really, can you have an environment where people feel high care and high accountability? And when you can get those two 50% inside, 50% outside, now you have a shot to be high performing. I love this. I have so many things running through my brain right now, but maybe let's stick on the culture front because I I love the the framing that culture doesn't exist across an organization, but it really exists in your team. And as a manager, right, that's so empowering to feel like you actually have something within your team that maybe you have more control over than you thought. And that there's really only two main factors in, in this framework that are so essential and that you can do something about those and your team can do something about those kind of regardless of what's happening. Cause I hear from so many managers, you know, I'm in a big organization and my boss is this and my department is that. And it's actually nice to be like, nope, we can, we can do this. There's a way that we can foster a strong culture here. Can you maybe talk us through how do we do that then? If we know that these are the two things we need, what do we do? How do we do that? <laughs> it's not the CEO or the CHROs role to build culture because it doesn't exist across an organization. They need to be models of it on their team for sure, but the fundamental units on the team. And so what you really want to do, and you, this is what you really hit on is give skills for that people leader. So you want to give them both the skills to model in the hard moments. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute and a structure to own the culture on their team. And that's the agency part that you mentioned, which is just so powerful. When, when people leaders hear this message, they're like, 
I can do that. Oh, you mean culture is not some nebulous, intangible thing that's just so hard to move? Culture is hard. It's intangible. We know more about the results of a culture than actually what is the culture. And so, again, that creates something you've got to deal with. But coming back, our approach is model and own. Model and own. People leaders need to model in the hard moments. So what we know is that when you're in a last 8% moment, this is why they're connected. It's not just because we want it to be connected, but when you're in a last 8% moment, there's more cortisol in your brain. Cortisol is a stress hormone. One of the effects of cortisol is that it sears in memory. So you can be in a normal non-8% moment and you know you have a relative amount of cortisol, probably not that much you know, more in the morning because it wakes us up, blah, blah, blah. But now you're in a hard moment and you're feeling judged and there's more on the line. You have more cortisol in your brain. So does everyone else on your team. Now here's the key part. What you do in that moment, the decisions you make, the behaviors you engage in sears into their brain, creating your reputation, but it also creates the culture on the team. Culture is not the values on the wall. It's the stories that come out of these hard moments because of this cortisol effect, right? And so the skills for a, a, a people leader are everything we just talked about earlier. Know yourself, know what, you know, how you show up in the hard moments, do hard things. Are you an avoider or make a messer? So because I'm an avoider, I work with my coach really diligently to not avoid. And I'm, I hope I'm better at it. I've been working on it for many years, but, but that's the model piece. And so. It's not the values on the wall. It's what the people leader does in the hard moments, right? When there's, when, when people are feeling under the gun, that's what gets seared into their brain to say, oh, this is what we do on our team. These are the stories on our team. And by the way, when that story, when the people leader does something that's incongruous in direct opposition to the values on the wall, that becomes even a more powerful story. Okay. So that's the first part. That's model. Hey there, Mamie here. Just a quick and exciting update for all of you who are enjoying the Modern Manager podcast. The Modern Manager membership community is getting a minor makeover, and it is now called the Podcast Plus Membership. And you can sign up for it and join a community of managers determined to do better every day. You'll get full access to our Slack channel, sketch notes with key takeaways from each episode, all types of guest bonuses, and the members-only podcast, which is ad-free and has extended interviews so you get to hear the answers to my juiciest questions without interruptions like this one. Sign up today for $15 per month at themodernmanager.com slash more. Can't wait to see you there. The own part, and we're really proud of this, is a structure for people leaders to own the culture on their team. And that's where it's not the CHRO, it's not the CEO, it's not a third-party vendor like ourselves. It's the people leader. We give them the structure where they show a five-minute video at the start of a regular team meeting. Then they have an opportunity to have a discussion. And then they have an opportunity to make a commitment, build a team charter. And so we really put it into their hands. It's a structure for them to own the culture on their team. And we actually have it now in, in our work to have multiple sprints over about six or eight months. And so we really feel strongly that now we can move the needle in large organizations because we have this model and own approach. And so CEOs and CHROs, they're actually really excited about this because they can't control. You know, we work with some organizations that are 450,000 large. I mean, how do you move an organization like that? So, so we try to work at the fundamental unit where it exists with our model and own approach. I want to go back to this idea of the stories that 
that we're kind of shaping by our behavior. And I'm actually wondering if you have any stories from your experience that you could share about a manager who's kind of tried this, right? Who's kind of figured out how to show up differently in that moment because they're more self-aware, how they've been able to model and own the the culture on their team and kind of what does that look like for real humans? I'm going to talk about a healthcare organization, healthcare insurance organization, well-branded, everyone would know them. We've worked with their senior team, their people leaders, broadly have really moved the needle, have good time one, time two data to show we've moved the needle. And what's interesting is that for the CEO, it was really critical that he first show up, be vulnerable and talk about the things that aren't working as well. So the story part has to come kind of after we do quite a bit of work because people start to see the story is changing. And so we make it very explicit. What are some of the old stories that doesn't serve the organization anymore? What are some of the new stories that you've seen in the last six months, six, eight months that really does serve, right? So first and foremost, culture is not a nice to have. It's people totally misunderstand culture. They think, oh, it's it's important to have a culture where people feel good. No, absolutely not. That's not the point. The point of culture is to execute strategy. That's it. That's all. Now, how you get there is you get people engaged and they're like, yes, but that's not the fundamental purpose of culture. It's to execute strategy. So their strategy changed. They needed to be more of a an employer of choice because they're growing and you know, there's this war for talent. And so, so we, the old and new stories had to fit this new strategic purpose, if you follow, right? Because here's the thing, and this is what it drives me a bit nuts, honestly, but so many leaders miss. They don't miss this first part, but they miss the second part. Your people, I'm speaking to all the leaders who are listening, your people are, are so busy. They're so busy. Point one, you probably get that part. But point two is if the culture that you're trying to grow and change doesn't help them drive their strategy, their results. It's like something you talk about at team, you know, at company meetings, but that's it. That's all. You'll get no commitment. Whereas if you can show them, and, and it's got to be true, that this new culture is going to actually help them execute and get results, they're going to jump all over it. And so coming back again to the story, for our CEO, he had to be a bit vulnerable about some of the challenges that they were having and, and kind of own that so that they could build that high care, high accountability culture. And honestly, he, he has done it so well. That organization has just like, I mean, they're going places. It's, it's really fascinating to watch. I'm wondering about any of the managers on within that company, if you had a chance to work with any of them directly or talk to them about their, their experience of trying to change their own behavior to more align with the new strategic direction and this new culture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe that's such a great question. In fact, I was just there like three weeks ago. In fact, we're doing a case study with them and I was interviewing uh, one of the senior leaders, not the CEO. And he said, JP, since we've started this work, when we interview for new job, because we're hiring a lot, when we interview for new positions, we actually use the upper right-hand quadrant, you know, our culture map this high care, high accountability. And he said, some of the candidates are actually starting to take down notes. They're like, this is great stuff. Some of them, two of them, he said, have been hired and now they're holding us accountable. Are you actually high care, high accountability in the upper right-hand quadrant, you know, a last 8% culture? And he said, this is just transforming a number of things. That was the first part. The second part was 
This is with one of the biggest chocolate makers in the world. I'll just say that. I, I was going to say candy, but whatever. And this head of their marketing said, JP, we've never had in the sprint, in that those four-week sprints, in those sprints that are embedded onto the team, that structure to own the culture, we've never had such powerful conversations. Like even for the team to sit there and go, where are we on this map? Because in the four quadrants, for so for listeners, you've got this upper left, which is low connection, but high courage. We call that transactional. Lower right is high connection, low courage, that's family. And upper right is high connection, high courage, and that's last 8%. And, you know, the, the lower left is fear-based, but whatever. In this four-quadrant model, she said just having the conversation is like a last 8% conversation because not everyone wants to, like, name an inconvenient truth. But she said, you know, this was supposed to go for half an hour. She said, JP, it went for an hour and 45 minutes. I finally had to stop it. But And and look, in that case, it normally it doesn't normally go that long. But she said the conversation was so rich that it's already transformed the norms that we're talking about on our team, right? And because that's key, right? Each team needs to have a strong purpose and strong norms. And so why do we exist? Purpose. And how are we going to operate, you know, on this map? And so they're already building that. And so honestly, it's so exciting to see because it feels like they're moving the needle for themselves is really what's going on. I wonder if you can share some of the norms that you would expect or would be common amongst teams that are really functioning in that 8% quadrant. It's really important that when a when anyone, a people leader, somebody on a team is in a hard moment, a last 8% moment, they're not going to remember that much because of the way the brain works. You, I'm sure you know how the brain works. And so it's got to be something that people can recall really simply. Okay, that's, that's kind of really important. So in the upper right-hand quadrant, we've cut down the behavior. So the two behaviors that are on the connection dimension or the care dimension are feeling valued, having a voice. There's more, but we just try to keep it. So VV. For the courage dimension, it's feedback. Again, it could be more, but we're just trying to keep it really small. So VVF, voice value feedback. Okay. But even that we found as we tested with our clients, wasn't leaving the mark because we want our language to be really sticky. It wasn't as strong as it could be. And so we found that actually how you execute people feeling like they have a voice on a team and feeling valued is you be curious. And it actually does, like you start by being here, asking questions, really showing in, like you got to be genuinely interested, but showing genuine interest. So now to answer your question, to be in the upper right-hand quadrant, what you need to be high care, high accountability high connection, high courage is be curious, speak up. And it's interesting. It's really important. It goes in that order because we need to get more than 5% of available information before we speak up, right? We need to understand what's going on for that other person on the other side of the bridge. What are they thinking, feeling in that moment? You know, are their emotional needs being met? Because if we can be curious and like truly genuinely curious, that allows that person to feel valued and voice. So now when we do speak up, A, we have more and better and more precise information, you know, to, to kind of deliver whatever it is we want to say. We also might understand, oh my gosh, I totally misunderstood the situation. But at the end of the day, you want a team to increase their capability 
week by week, month by month. It's not how you're performing just now. It's how you grow that capability over time. And so be curious, speak up. Building that upper right-hand quadrant culture is kind of how you keep increasing the capability on a team. And that's like a really central part to high performance. I love the way that it's just so boiled down to be curious and speak up because those things are memorable and every team wants them, right? Even people who are maybe not into the soft stuff around culture can agree. Be curious and speak up. That that feels like a no-brainer. So Mamie, if I said, you know what? I think this podcast is crap. I really don't like this interview. In that moment, you've got a chance to get defensive. Your brain's like, well, I thought it was going okay. Like what? What? And it's so easy in that moment to kind of speak up and defend as opposed to in that moment, as we talk about your dropping markers, you're not able to think as clearly to be curious. Oh, JP, you know, why do you say that? Tell, tell me more. And all of a sudden the pressure's off of you as well, but you can get more information about, you know, what I'm thinking about that. And, and that this happens all the time, right? In meetings, this people are, and by the way, they should be because we want risk-taking behavior in teams. So it's like, we want to equip. Here's the thing, because of this fundamental conflict of performance, we need to take risks, but our brain's saying don't, right? Default to protection, not risk. Because of that fundamental conflict of performance, we need an antidote. So partly it's inside the person, but partly it's in that culture where you really norm that it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to be aggressive, you know, to, to really be an aggressive learner, to take risks, to feel uncomfortable. Because you know, so many leaders think, oh, I want my, all my team to be happy, to have, you know, happy team meetings where everyone's kind. Sorry. You know, as we like say, this is not, you know, people sometimes think they're a family. They're not a family, right? You don't let go of your lowest performing kid, right? <laughs> right? So we're not a family. And it doesn't mean you can't be high care. But if you marry the high care with high accountability, Oh my gosh, there's such opportunity to really meet your kind of goals and your results and, and grow the organization you want to grow. And that's very, for me, that's super exciting work. Can you talk a little bit about how to bring these ideas to your team, right? I mean, obviously it'd be amazing if people could bring you in to work with them, but short of that, what can managers do to start to shape this kind of culture starting tomorrow? What can people do to bring these ideas to their team and get their team excited about making some intentional shifts in their behavior? Our work is really at the enterprise level, you know, with organizations, B2B. So we don't really have, my team's probably going, JP, you're totally forgetting our B2C strategy. I don't remember our B2C strategy right now. I don't <laughs> think we have one. <laughs> so the answer is, you know, nothing that we're selling, but for people leaders who are listening, own the culture on your team. Don't wait for anyone. Own it. You, right now. Become an aggressive, number one. Number two, become an aggressive learner. There is so much. Think of this this podcast. You got, you got a great podcast, maybe. In spite of what I said five minutes ago, I love your <laughs> podcast. Because there's just so much available now. So people leader out there, be an aggressive learner. Videos, podcasts, you name it. Okay, books, of course. Uh, number three, I would really think about how you can show up differently in your hard moments. When somebody criticizes you, can you be curious before you speak up and get defensive, right? God, that's one of those, those last 8% moments, right? People don't remember the 92. They remember 
when there's cortisol in their brain and what you did and how you chewed them out or you defended or you gave them all the reasons like why, you know, that's not going to serve you people either. So that's probably what I would say. And maybe the final one is be vulnerable with your team. You know, part of this is in, in some of our, our sprints, but just start by saying what you really want for the team and maybe where you've fallen short as a people leader, you know, Hey, I'd really like to be an upper right-hand quadrant, high care, high accountability. I don't know if I've done that, everyone. And I want to get a bit better. And I'd be open to feedback. Like that right there can be such an opening. Yeah, these are fabulous suggestions. I want to build off of them. Um, on the show up differently when you talked about modeling, right? That's something we can all start doing right away. And I know for myself, one of the biggest things that enabled me to be more aware and get more control was paying attention to those physical markers that you mentioned earlier, like knowing what our signals are and what our default response is, just getting more aware of that. Like that's the first step that everyone can start working on. Absolutely. Right? And then Absolutely. secondly, your website, which you're going to tell us in a minute, I know has the model and there's some videos on YouTube, I think I was watching that talk through the model. And I'm imagining that People could show that to their team and use it as a conversation starter, as you said earlier, and, and open that door and say, yeah, this is where I want us to go. This is where I think will be really helpful. And I know I haven't always done this and I'm going to try my best to do it. Like, let's like, let's get on board together. Is that, does that work? You know, I, I've kind of remiss not thinking that uh, there's a podcast that I have called The Last 8% Morning. And the idea is that people it's really important that we build these internal skills. And so this podcast is a walking podcast where you go out in the morning as opposed to look at your phone, spike your cortisol even more. You go out for a 15 to 20 minute walk. There's a real, and we've tested this over many years, but there's a real structure to this. And the idea is that you start your day um, in a way where we know mood follows movement. Go for a 15 or 20 minute walk. We know that you can do mindfulness, not sitting mindfulness, which people really struggle with. We've taught this to athletes for years, for 30 years. And honestly, they struggle. But walking mindfulness, which confers the same benefits, is something anyone can do. And again, it's in the podcast, so I'm guiding you. So, you know, you start by going for a walk, guided mindfulness. There's an idea of the day, builds on all the stuff we've talked about here. And then it finishes with goals and gratitude. And so something as simple as 15 minutes, that's, again, just as an opportunity for people to grow skills and grow awareness, you know, that might be a resource that could be helpful for folks. Fabulous. Well, why don't you tell us now quickly about an amazing manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fabulous boss? In my case, I haven't had a lot of managers. I really haven't. I Like in grade eight, nine, and 10, I was an entrepreneur doing a garbage bag selling business, and then on and on. I was lucky enough in my training to work at a hospital for three years. And uh, it was amazing because in this hospital, Spinal Cord Research and Rehab Hospital, we had two floors, like three in total, but two where I worked. And we did the same work. The staff moved between the two different floors all the time. But there was on one floor just an environment where the manager's they were the only ones who didn't move, who were just a little more prickly, who were a bit more judgmental. And on the other, just the complete opposite. And it maybe it was the first time, this is like, again, in my training, how long ago now? 34 years ago or something, where I was like struck by the difference that one manager could make. I'll just give you one example because you're asking. So this best manager, still remember her. 
She was really into physical fitness. And she said 34 years ago, sugar's bad, right? And okay, maybe we all knew sugar was bad, but she was like, no, there's like really good reasons. I didn't believe her because I've got a big sweet tooth. Like, it's so funny. I'm, this is what I remember about her, right? The way she could listen, you know, truly make you feel valued, that sticks with me 34 years later. And compared to some of the managers on the other floor, it was amazing because on the other floor, people would not give that extra effort, that discretionary effort. It was like, oh, well, that's not my job. And it's just incredible how that permeates. Same kind of work, same organization, same values on the wall, right? And yeah. yet two different cultures on two different floors. So that would be, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with managers, but that's that's one that really sticks out for me. Yeah, I love that because it's the perfect example of what we've been talking about, that one person can control the culture or not control, that's the wrong word, but one person can really influence and help take ownership over the culture that's in their environment. And that's really powerful. All right. Lastly, JP, where can people learn more about you and keep up with your work? Yeah, probably the best is our website, which is uh, I as in India, H as in hotel, another H is in hotel, P as in Peter.com, IHHP.com. That's the Institute for Health and Human Potential. It's a bloody long name. Probably the last 8% morning podcast on Apple and anywhere. You know, there's like 170 episodes. So there's tons of good learning there. That's probably, I'm probably forgetting something else, but that's probably good enough. By the way, I'm happy for people to link in with me. You know, that might be another good place. Fabulous. Well, thank you again for joining me today. I wish we had more time because there's so much more to talk about, but uh, really a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, baby. JP is providing members of Podcast Plus and the Skills Accelerator 15% off the live online Science of Emotional Intelligence program by Last 8%. This program teaches you the most important skill to have in your toolkit, emotional intelligence. It includes three two-hour live online video meetings, along with pre-work, program materials, and homework assignments for a truly collaborative learning experience. Plus, in the extended interview available to members of Podcast Plus, JP shares his thoughts on how to hold yourself and your team accountable to following through on the norms and culture you are striving to. It is not too late to join the Skills Accelerator for our March deep dive into giving feedback. With the live workshop and workbooks, additional on-demand lessons and suggested resources, you can quickly boost your feedback giving mindset and skills. Plus, you can access January and February's resources in our resource center. And those topics were goal setting and goal getting and decision making. Get all of this when you become a member of Skills Accelerator. Go to themodernmanager.com slash skills accelerator to sign up now. To get this guest bonus, the extended interview, and many more resources, become a member at themodernmanager.com slash more. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.